0: Today, we are talking about the end of the world, and whenever I think about the end of the world, I automatically get images of like a guy on the corner wearing a sandwich board that says, the end is near, like yelling at everybody um, that the end is coming and they should repent or turn or do something differently. And so, we're talking about that today, um, that the end is near and it's the end of the world and say, Jesus is going to talk about this, and we're going to do all of chapter 13 today. Um, so this is Jesus' last and his longest section of teaching in the book of Mark. Um, and so my hope is that as we go through this, we will get a greater understanding, um, not just of what's going to happen towards the end of the world, but what we should be doing as we wait in the moment. And so we are going to be in Mark chapter 13. We're going to do um, the whole thing. It's page 901 in the Pew Bible in front of you, or you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. Um, I do also want to warn you, in case you didn't get a bulletin, um, nobody's ever really that excited when they see that the sermon has eight points, um, and so um, it's going to go pretty quickly, but I also want to add that I added three more this morning, so um, it's going to go quick, it's going to be good, we're going to enjoy it, but I'm just warning you ahead of time that there's a lot of points this morning, um, so let's, we're going to read all of it in one big chunk, and then we'll just reference it as we go through, so follow along with me. This is, as he was going out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. And while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus told them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains." But you, be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days." Pray that it won't happen in winter, for those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then if anyone tells you, see, here is the Messiah, see there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. And the stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. And truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch! Be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And I, what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Okay, so we're going to work through this. This is actually the end of a sandwich. You know how Mark likes to do his sandwich things. And so you see at the beginning, it says Jesus leaves the temple. This is closing of the previous sandwich because in chapter eleven twenty-seven 27, it says he entered the temple. And so this is kind of closing his um, conflicts with the religious leaders. He's moving on to teach, and so he's moving to something new. And that's what we're seeing here. So the first thing I want us to see here is, um, these, are not, these are pretty obvious, most of them, is that the end will come. The end of all things is coming, right? And in these passages, we see a few things that are going to happen or that will happen in the last days, or he says, will come at the end. Um, one of the hardest things to do with uh, prophecies in the Bible is to understand exactly when they are supposed to happen and... Now, in addition to that, some of them are fulfilled multiple times, Um, so there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, and so some of those have um, different things and different meanings, and so we're going to look at the three things that are in this, and these are actually fulfilled at different times. And so first, we have a near fulfillment um, with the temple being destroyed. This is verse 2. Right? The disciples walk out, they look at the temple, they see this huge building. Um, this temple was known for having enormous white stones with gold overlaid on top of it. And so when you looked at it up on the hill and even when the sun was shining on it, it looked like it was kind of glowing because of the gold and the stones. And So when they saw this, this was an enormous temple that they see. And so the disciples are pretty impressed by the architecture and the building itself. But Jesus' response is not quite what you would think when someone sees that and somebody says, oh, look at that building and how amazing it is. And Jesus' response is basically, well, it's all going to fall down anyway. It's going to be torn apart. Not one stone is going to be left on the other. But you need to remember also, in addition to what we're seeing here, Jesus has spent the last couple of chapters kind of reminding us that the religious leaders and what's happening in the temple is not what's supposed to be happening. Remember, if you go back to chapter 11, he cleansed the temple because they were changing money and taking advantage of people in the temple. He spent the last couple of chapters in conflicts with the religious leaders saying, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, so they were unfruitful. And so, in addition to this prophecy, it's Jesus kind of saying, the religious leaders in the temple, it's not being fruitful, and so we're just going to do away with it. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be destroyed. And so, as we look at these, this one is a near fulfillment. And so, This was actually fulfilled in A.D. or C.E. 70 um, when the Romans came through and they destroyed the temple. Um, They destroyed it so completely, this huge, enormous building that was so impressive at the time. um, They destroyed it so completely that even now with all of our technology and all of the things that we can use to find where buildings used to be and piece things together and date things, they still don't know where this temple was. They still can't find where it originally was supposed to be. Now, they can guess what area it was in, but they don't know exactly where it was. That's how thoroughly this temple was destroyed in AD 70. And so Jesus saying, not one stone will be left on another came true in this time. So here we have a near literal fulfillment of the prophecy. The stones were torn down and not one was left on top of each other. Next, we have a near and a far prophecy in verse 14. Um, This is a reference, it calls it the abomination of desolation. Um, If you're familiar with this term, term, you will probably know that it connects you to Daniel um, chapter 9. And so these things kind of connect together. And so this initial fulfillment of this prophecy um, was the desecration of the temple in 167 by Antiochus Epiphanes, he essentially took a pig into the temple and sacrificed it on the altar to Zeus. Um, Not really what you're supposed to be doing in the temple, right? It's offerings to God. And so this was one of the things that they call the abomination of desolation. Um, And so this led to what you, if you're familiar with history, the Maccabean revolt is somewhat a result of him doing this in the temple. And so, many people, in addition to that fulfillment that was near to when Christ made it, and not quite as near, but near to when Daniel made it, um, there's also, most people connect this to a far fulfillment that the Antichrist, when he shows up, will do something similar. So, this one is a near and a far together, and so it will happen again. So, it has been fulfilled, but it probably will be again. Then, we have a far prophecy um, a prediction that's only in the future. This is the Son of Man returning in verses 24 through 27. Right? We have lots of signs in here. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, stars will be falling, heavens will be shaking, Jesus coming in the clouds, angels gathering people. There's a lot of signs and the unmistakable return of Jesus. And Notice what it says he'll do when he returns. He will gather his people to himself. Right? This is always what Jesus is doing, even now. Right? He's calling people to himself. He's drawing people to himself and drawing them to follow him and serve him in groups like we're doing this morning. We're doing that together. But this will be the first time when he returns that the universal church as a whole will come together together, And so the true Messiah will appear and he will begin to reign fully. And so this is a far prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled Um, And I think this is probably the one that we most eagerly anticipate, right? Temples falling down is fine. Abominations in the temple, that's—worship is fine. But we really look forward to when Jesus is coming back. I think that's the one that we all kind of are anticipating. Um, In addition to this, I just want to say something about kind of when we see these, um, is that when these things happen, it will be obvious, We will know. We won't have to guess when these have happened. We won't have to guess that the Antichrist has arrived. We won't have to guess if Christ has returned. Um, I think it's going to be pretty obvious when these things happen. And so the end will come. It may not be exactly what we expect. It may be completely different than what we think will happen, but it will come. But it isn't here yet, right? We're not there yet. So we're going to look at It's kind of this concept that we see throughout this, and so we see it in verses 7 and 8 um, when he says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end, right? When there are wars, when there are rumors of wars, when nations are fighting against nations or even people fighting against themselves, don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised, And the reason he says that is we live in a broken, sinful world, and everybody is looking out for themselves and out for their country or their nation and their people, and so when what you want to do is a conflict with what I want to do, then we got to settle that. And sometimes we settle it peacefully and sometimes not so peacefully, right? So he says these things are going to happen in the history of the world because it's broken, and so don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised when those things happen. And he says very clearly, it's not the end. It is not yet the end when these things happen. Even though it may feel like the end, and you feel like things are worse now than they've ever been before. The world is falling apart. It's crazy. It's broken. There's so many things that are wrong, right? It's still not quite the end. We may want the world to end. We may want Jesus to come back and make it all right, like right now in the middle of the worship service, right? Because we've just maybe had enough with what's going on. But it's just a part of life in a broken world. Then he talks about, right, there'll be wars and earthquakes. Not just the people will be broken, but creation itself is broken. It groans for restoration. But if you notice in verse, at the end of verse 8, he says, these are the beginning of birth pains. So, it's just the beginning. Now, if anyone's, I have I've, you know, experienced experienced this in a parallel experience. It's not me actually having a baby, but as a father of three children, um, you know that the beginning of the birth pains are the contractions, and sometimes it's, well, if you're lucky it's like 15 minutes until you have a baby, but sometimes it's 12 to 14 hours or more before that actually happens. And so this, what he's saying is these things that you see, these are the contractions. And so you've still got a long way to go before you get to the end. We're not quite there yet. We're just beginning. And then he gives us an example in verse 28 and 29, the example of the fig tree. Right? As you see the branch sprout leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, you know that these things are near. So even if you think you see the signs, even if you're like, I'm convinced that this is the thing that we're the, the, these prophecies are talking about, it's only reminding us that it is coming. Right? The signs are only saying it's it's coming at some point. We don't know when. It's not here yet. And so we don't need to stop or we don't need to speculate or calculate or all of these things. We just need to keep keep going. And then in verse 32, now concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Nobody knows when this is going to happen. And it says, um, neither angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And now, we actually had this, Kathy and I had this conversation yesterday in the car of how come Jesus didn't know this, but He knows everything? That's a whole other thing. This sermon would be like three times as long if we try to figure that out. Um, so we may cover that later. But um, no one knew, knows when it's going to happen, only the Father Which made me think that a lot of times, and I've been there before, a lot of our time and our energy is spent kind of trying to figure out when these things are going to happen and interpreting the signs and listening to people teach us about when the end is coming. But if Jesus didn't know when it was happening, he was able to do his ministry just fine without it, didn't have any trouble. So it makes me think if Jesus didn't need to know, I don't need to know, right? I just need to know what he is calling me to do and follow it. And so, Maybe let's work on being faithful to the end and not trying to calculate and predict when all of these things are happening because that's the point of this passage, right? If you notice, none of those things are super clear. None of those things have dates attached to them. Jesus is sort of being a little vague because calculating and knowing when things are going to happen was not the purpose of this passage. The purpose of this passage is to be prepared and to be faithful to the end, And so, that's where we turn next, is if we sort of know when these things are happening, but that's not really what we should be focusing on, then what do we do now as we wait for the end to come? And so, this is where we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. So, there's only, let's see, only nine points in this section now. So, here we go. So, first he tells us to watch out or to be alert, um, Jesus says this four times in these section of verses, in verse 5, in verse 9, in verse 23 and 33. And so we're going to look at each one of those because he tells us to watch out for something different um, in each one of those things. So the first warning is to watch out for false teachers. We see this in verse 5, watch out that no one deceives you, right? People are going to come and claim to be from God and to have a message from him, so, be prepared for this. Know that you should not follow him. In the very near future to this, in Acts chapter 5, we, or in Acts totally, we see this three times. Um, in Acts chapter 5, when the apostles are arrested, um, we see Gamaliel, who is one of the high priests. Um, they're kind of figure out what to do with the apostles. And he says, hey guys, remember Theodos, who claimed to be somebody, claimed he was leading somebody, and once he died, all of his followers disappeared? And remember Judas the Galilean, he led another revolt and as soon as he was gone everything fell apart. And then later in Acts Paul is actually suspected of being a part of a group of Egyptians who led a revolt. And so even near to this there are people who showed up to said you should follow me. I'm from God. I'm here to help you. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to lead you. And I think even now we have people that say very similar things and they ask us to support them or to follow them or to listen to them or to believe in what they are saying, right? I have a word from God, which could be true, but we still need to verify those things. And so, we, it says here, don't believe them, right? And you may say, I would never believe a false teacher, but I think we need to be careful because it's not always as obvious as we think it is, And it comes even harder sometimes when some of those teachers say things that we would want to say or that we want to happen. And so it's easier, I think, for us to be deceived than we admit. So we always need to be careful. Then he says, "You must watch, right? You must watch. Be careful. Be alert, because our allegiance is only to Christ. Right? If we only follow Christ and nobody else, if we don't listen to any other teachers." I guess technically, even if you didn't listen to me, right, you would still be okay. When you got to heaven and you stood before him, you said, I only followed you. I only listened to your word. I didn't let anybody else deceive me. Nothing happens, right? He's like, okay, that's good. But if we listen to other people and we're deceived and we fall away, then there's danger. Then there's problems. Then there's issues. So I'm not saying don't listen to anybody else, I'm saying make sure that whoever you are listening to is grounded in Scripture, that what they say aligns with what we know from the Bible, and that it's about Jesus and it's not about them, right? I think I talked about this somewhere else, but a guy with a private jet asking for more money seems a little sketchy to me. Um, Next, he tells us to watch out for persecutions. This is the section verses 9 through 13. Right, so watch out for persecutions. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be charged. Families are going to turn on one another. You'll be turned in, and all of these things. Right, this is happening in other places in the world. It's not quite happening here, um, but the Western world, as itself, us and Europe, um, is becoming less and less Christian by the day. And I think there actually will be a drastic change in how Christians operate and experience the world in the next generation, things are going to be even more and more difficult as we go, I think. And I think one of the things that's going to happen with that, and I think it's actually already happening, um, it will lead to the purification of the church. And I think um, one of the reasons I say that is I think that's already actually happening now. Um, I think what the pandemic has done is the 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 cultural Christians, the people who are sort of, oh it's a good idea to come to church, Um, they're not coming anymore. They're not engaged anymore. They're not watching online. They've kind of sloughed off. And I'm not saying they're not Christians, but what I am saying is the people that are coming now, the people that are watching online now, these are people that are committed to follow Christ. And so when we get back to normal in a few months, I think the people that are still in church, whether it's our church or another church, those are the people who really want to be there, who really want to follow Christ. And yes, there may be less numbers of people in the buildings, but having a group of committed people is always a win, right? And so, I think when we come out of this, the church as a whole may have less numbers, but I think it will be stronger, Right? And one of the things that happens in persecution or in difficulty is it does actually strengthen our faith because we realize we can't do it on our own and we need help and it leads us to rely on Christ. So we need to watch out for those things, to watch out for false teachers, watch out for persecutions. Um, next, we need to preach the gospel. Right? We see this in verse 10. It says, It is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. Now, there are some people who say that this is what God is waiting for before Jesus returns, is He's waiting for the gospel to be preached to all nations, and so after everyone has had an opportunity to hear the gospel, that there are no unreached people left, that Jesus will return. Now, that could be possible. I'm not 100% on that, so I'm not sure that's actually what's going to happen, but I'm all for reaching unreached people just to be sure right? So let's go out and reach them and preach the gospel. Um, the other reason I'm not as convinced is where this passage is, right? This verse is in the middle of the section on persecutions of being arrested and then families turning on each other. And so I don't think it's about like the end being fulfilled. I think it's, hey, no matter what's going on, no matter the circumstances, no matter how difficult it is, you should be preaching the gospel, you should be proclaiming Christ to those around you because it says here, right, it is necessary, which means it must, it must be done. It's a divine necessity. We see Jesus use this same term when he talks about he must be arrested, he must be killed, he must rise again. It's going to happen. It's part of God's plan for what he is going to do. It will happen. But even in the midst of wars, in the midst of natural disasters, in the midst of persecution, the gospel must be preached. God's kingdom will not fail to advance no matter the circumstances. And so for us, no matter how crazy it gets, no matter how hostile the world may be against Christians, we are still called to preach the gospel to others. And I think because he puts it in this thing about being arrested, We also need to think of this in a different way, is when you're called to explain the gospel or what you believe or what something about the Bible, whether it's, we're not really doing this yet, but if you're arrested for that, then you actually have a platform in front of a bunch of people to preach the gospel. And so I think what Jesus is trying to get us to say is sometimes we think of those things as hindrances to the gospel, but it's actually an opportunity to share. When people disagree with you, when people think you're crazy, it's actually an opportunity for you to declare the gospel clearly to them. And here's where I think we need to be really careful is it's about preaching the gospel, not anything else, right? It's not what political affiliation you should have as a Christian. It's not about what's happening in the culture. It's not about what we disagree with or what we don't disagree with. It's about the gospel, it's about what Jesus Christ has done for us and what the Bible says about that. So when it says it's an opportunity to preach the gospel, it needs to be clear, it needs to be concise, it needs to be focused that it is about Jesus. All that other stuff is, we can work that out. But when we have an opportunity to share, it should be about Jesus, about preaching the gospel. Use those, oppor- those things, even when they're difficult, as opportunities Next, we should rely on the Spirit. We see this in verse 11. When you get arrested, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. He will give you the words to say in that moment. And sometimes I think we, we forget or take for granted the Holy Spirit, um, especially in some traditions, and Baptists is probably one of them, right? And I'm not saying we ignore the Holy Spirit or we don't listen to Him or we don't know that He's there but we may not be getting the full experience that some other people may be getting. So I would just want to remind you, right, of what this is saying is the Holy Spirit is with you at all times. When you have a question, when you're struggling, when, somebody, when you're trying to answer somebody and share the gospel with somebody, the Holy Spirit is with you, giving you words to say, giving you things that you've, maybe scripture that you've memorized or things that you've learned or something you've read. He will bring it to mind so that you can use that as you speak. We will represent Christ, and the Spirit will be with us. We aren't on our own, and because of that, we can have courage, and we can have confidence in what we are saying. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to doubt. We don't need to think, I need to learn a whole bunch more before I try to share the gospel or answer someone's questions. The Spirit is with us. Next, we need to endure to the end. We see this in verse 13. You'll be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Um, now, one thing I want to make clear is this is not like a works-based kind of thing, um, so you may could read this and say, well, if I endure to the end, then I will be saved. So all I have to do is do everything I can to endure to the end, and that kind of puts everything on you, right? I endure. I do everything I can. It's all in my power. I'm working as hard as I can. I'm going to church. I'm doing all of these things, Right? Now, that's not really what it's saying. I think what it's actually saying it is if you are saved, you will endure to the end. If you are truly a follower of Christ, no matter what happens, no matter what comes, you will follow him. You will listen to him. You won't turn away. You won't be swayed by false teachers. You won't be um, found in doubt because of persecutions or trials or anything like that. You will continue to endure to the end. And so the call for us is to endure. Right? Nothing changes our allegiance to Christ. Not fear, not doubt, not persecutions, not the government, not anything else that we may encounter. Right? Our allegiance to Christ comes above everything. Next, we need to trust God's word. Right? Everything of the earth will pass away. The great temple that the disciples saw at the beginning gets essentially wiped off the face of the earth. It doesn't endure. It doesn't last. These huge stones are wiped away and nothing remains. Hebrews kind of talks about this concept in in chapter 1. It says, You established the earth, the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing, but you are the same, and your years will never end. Everything that we know in this world, everything that's that we think will last forever, is going to pass away. It's going to disappear. It's going to fall apart. It's going to break down. It's going to happen. But God's Word never does that. It never passes away. It never lets us down. It never crumbles. It never falls. It never decays. It's always what we need it to be. God's Word will be the right and trustworthy thing in our lives. I think Jesus is also kind of connecting some dots with, remember a while ago he said that he would be the cornerstone, that everything would be built on, and so it's funny that he says the temple will be wiped, but the cornerstone will remain. God's word will remain, and if we build on that, we will be found faithful. So then we're almost to the end. The last verses, 34 to 37, give us this parable. And I think what he wants us to see from this parable is to be active and to be prepared. And so what happens is a guy leaves, he leaves his servants in charge, and the servants, maybe instead of doing what they're supposed to be doing, are like, well, we'll just wait until we know the master is coming back. And then when he comes back, and we know he's coming, we'll just kind of take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. But Jesus says, well, you don't actually know when that guy is coming back. So instead of slacking off, and relaxing and hoping that you guess when he's going to come back and you're prepared, you should just always be doing what you're supposed to be doing. You should always be prepared. And so the parable isn't to tell us to try to calculate or predict when the master will return. it's to be ready and active until he does. And so he gives us this parable to say, "Don't be caught off guard. Don't be complacent. Don't be resting. Don't be waiting, don't be hopeless until we, as we wait for the end, but continue to seek him, continue to serve God, continue to follow the calling that he has given us up until the end because we don't know when he will return. Essentially, you're living like the end will be tomorrow, right, so that you are ready. <clears throat> if you're following along <clears throat> in your bulletin, that's where your points, I think, end Um, but I wanted to be a little more specific in a couple of things, and so there's three more that I've added, and these are going to be just a little more practical of like, yes, all of those things are good, and how am I supposed to remember eight things, and I get it. Um, So if you're going to remember something, these are the three that I think you should remember. This is about how we actually live in this time, and the first is to live with urgency. Right? Since we don't know when the end will be, since it can come at any time, we should be living with a sense of urgency. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be frantic and overextend ourselves and be crazy, but we should be diligent and purposeful in our lives. Right? One of the examples of that, we should be the quickest people on the planet to reconcile and to forgive each other. Right? Because if we don't know when the end is coming, we shouldn't be leaving anything undone. We should be quick to forgive, quick to reconcile so that our relationships with each other are whole and restored. And our relationship with God, we should do the same thing. We should constantly be confessing our sins, asking the Holy Spirit to show us where we need to repent, where we need to trust Christ more, where we need to do something different or allow Him to lead us, right? To seek God's forgiveness and mercy. Don't wait we should constantly be doing that, so I think that the the takeaway maybe is to set a good pace and go for it, right? Many of us are resting, and myself included, we're taking a break, or some of you may even be saying if you're you, you, you may be saying, "Hey, I've done my time, it's time for me to take a break, and the young people can do all of this, right but there's There's no retirement in the Bible, at least not that I can see. So we should all be doing what we can to grow, what we can to make disciples, what we can to encourage one another to the end, right? Now, you may not be able to do the same things that you could do when you were 20 or 40 or 60 or some of you 80. Um, So if you're past all of those, it may be different what you can do, but you can still encourage, you can still grow, we can still live with a sense of urgency that God can use us to do mighty things while we wait. So next, secondly, is to remember what matters. Everything will pass away but the Word of God. The things we work for will pass away. Most of the things we worry about will pass away. Most of the things we get angry about will pass away. They're not going to matter. Right? The great accomplishments and the things that we build will fall away with no evidence, just like the temple. But God's word will never pass away. God will never leave us alone. He will never let us down. He will always be here. He will always exist. He will always be relevant. And so let's put more time into, and energy into what will matter, what will last, what will be significant of seeking God and His Word, then some of the things that the world has convinced us are important. And lastly is to live confidently and faithfully. We know that the Spirit is with us, right? It will be with us. It will help us know what to say. It will help us know what to do. We know God's Word is trustworthy and is powerful, So, if we are aligned with Christ, we can be confident and faithful regardless of the circumstances of our lives. If tomorrow they start arresting Christians, we can be confident and we can be faithful that God will be with us, that He will give us an opportunity to represent Him in front of other people. We can endure no matter what we encounter because. Christ has endured for us, right? Jesus, in our place, on our behalf, endured persecutions. He endured betrayals. He endured a military action, actually, to arrest Him and to kill Him. And He overcame them so that we can overcome, right? He strengthens and He empowers us, but He also enables us through His life and through His death. And so as we trust in Him, as we rely on Him, as we give our lives over to Him, He renews us, He strengthens us, He is with us, He gives us confidence. His righteousness becomes our righteousness so that we can choose what we should be doing instead of what we, over what we would want to do. And so the call for us from this chapter is not to predict and calculate and to worry about when the end will come but to be prepared and to be faithful and to be following Jesus until it happens. So let's faithfully follow Christ until He comes. Let's pray. God, we come before You. We thank You for who You are. We thank You for what You've done. We thank you for even chapters like this in the Bible that talk about the end and things that we maybe have questions about or we wonder about or we want more information about, but but you remind us that it isn't necessarily about when you'll return or knowing when that is, but it's about being faithful to you, of having hearts and minds grounded in your Word and not grounded on the things of this world to be watching out, to be alert, to be watching our lives, to be watching our hearts, to be watching our minds, and also to be watching with our fellow believers, our fellow church members, to help all of us stay focused on you. Because as we build on you, as we trust on you, those are the things that will last. Those are the things that are important, our call to make disciples and to preach the gospel. No matter the circumstances, no matter what happens, whether we like what's going on in the world or not, you still call us to preach the gospel, to seek you and to proclaim your name. And so whether that's loving our neighbor and taking them food or saying hi to somebody or praying for somebody or giving them a phone call or sharing the gospel with them, all of those things are proclaiming your name to others. So help us to be diligent and faithful in serving you and kind of let the end take care of itself. Right? The end will come when the end comes. Help us trust in you above all things. In your name I pray. Amen.